Well, again, good morning. Uh, if you haven't already gotten the feel, uh, today we're going to be talking a little bit about money. Just wanted to let that sink in and make sure everybody officially felt uncomfortable because nobody really likes talking about money. Uh, in fact, I remember the first job that I had out of college, uh, I took a job working at a camp and retreat center. I was a program director there. And my boss is a guy by the name of Ralph Trainer, uh, incredible man of faith. He gave me so much advice over the couple of years that I worked there. And one of those pieces that he gave me uh, of advice early on was one of the things he told me. He said, Shay, there are two things that you never touch in another person's life. You never touch their kids and you never touch their money. Tell a parent uh, how to parent their children. Tell them ways that their kids are acting a little bit out of control. Give them parenting advice. And I can almost guarantee you they will not like you anymore. Similarly, you tell a person how to spend their money, tell them ways that they are spending their money foolishly, tell them areas that they need to be giving more money to, and they will not like you anymore. They will not appreciate that advice. It's just far too personal. And so full disclosure, uh, what we are talking about today is a tough subject to cover, particularly in 30 minutes. And honestly, it would be far easier to just avoid this subject like the plague because this morning, really more than any other morning, I really run the risk of offending people. And I certainly hope that that is not the case. I hope that you don't walk out of here with your guards up or anything like that, but it's definitely uh, a chance that could happen. Uh, there was a guy I used to work with prior to becoming a pastor. Uh, I worked in medical sales and uh, another sales rep, we kind of worked together a little bit. We'd cross territories a little bit. Um, I would invite him to church all the time. It was a guy by the name of John. And I'd invite John to church on a pretty regular basis. And most of the time, he would just make a joke about it and laugh on. And like, he'd just like, try to get past the subject. He had, did not want to have a conversation about church whatsoever. But I remember one time in particular, I was like, all right, I'm going to get him to come to church. And it was either a Christmas or an Easter service. I'm like, everybody goes to church on Christmas and Easter. Maybe I can finally get him to show up. And so I was like, really like, intent like, on getting him to come. And I didn't let him just like, you know, make some snide remark and then move on. Like, I was really, really intentional about inviting him. And he brought up his concern why he didn't want to come to church. He said, Shay, I don't like going to church. And he said he'd probably only been like four or five times his entire life. He's like, but every time I go to church, I feel like they're just after my money. Ding, ding, ding. And that's not just a John thing, right? Chances are, if you have invited people to church before, like a lot of people, you've probably heard that excuse as well. And he went on to explain that he's like, hey, listen, every time that I went to church, it felt like the entire kind of climax of the service rested around this moment where the pastor or the priest would get up there and he tried to guilt me into giving money. And I just don't like that feeling. And part of that definitely rests on churches because a lot of you have probably had negative experiences as it relates to finances in the local church. You've been hurt you've been taken advantage of, you may have been guilted into giving by another pastor, and in fact, if I heard your story, I know that I would understand why you don't like talking about the subject. I would be sympathetic as to why you really don't want to talk about your money. And so for that reason, if that was been your experience, I'm not just saying this flippantly, I'm being serious. I really am sorry. I'm sorry, and, and I hope that you never find that to be the case here. I don't think you'll ever feel guilted into giving at Grumlaw. We, we want to demonstrate generosity, not beg for your money. And I think you'll find that here, by, by the end of our time together, um, this doesn't have to be nearly as sensitive as a, of a subject as we sometimes make it out to be, and it's definitely something that we should talk about, whether you're a Christian or not. I'd like to actually share some statistics with you this morning. Uh, in a recent survey done by the American Psychological Association, money still tops the list of things that stress Americans out the most, more than work, family obligations, and even health concerns. In fact, 72% of American adults say that they have been stressed out about money in the last month. 70 
72%. Like, that's an overwhelming favorite. People fear running out of money more than they do their own death. There's some more. Go ahead and put that next slide up there, Garrett. 41% of American adults have less than $500 saved to their name. Fewer than 5% of churchgoers actually tithe. Few, statistics would say that fewer than 5% of you that show up at least twice a month actually give away a true 10% of your income. I mean, that's crazy, right? The total debt owed by U.S. consumers is 729B. That's a B, billion dollars. Go to the next one. I have more because this stuff is, blows my mind. The average U.S. credit card debt per household is $15,675. The average auto loan... Uh, amount per household is $27,000. The average American student loan per household is $48,000, almost $50,000 per household. The average American household is paying $6,600 in interest per year, and that's above and beyond mortgage interest, okay? I mean, crazy. And 26% of adults say that they have $0 saved. They are quite literally living paycheck to paycheck. And yet, with all of these financial issues, nobody wants to talk about their money. But what's so ironic, in my world as a pastor, um, like 90% of the time, and I don't actually know if it's 90% of the time, but like the vast majority of the time, if somebody comes up to me after church and they're like, hey, can I talk to you real quick? I kind of have something that I really need to get off my chest. Or I get an email or I get a text from someone during the week and says, hey, would you have any time for me sometime this week? I'd just like to just kind of sit down and chat with you about some stuff. Or somebody calls me and says, hey, do you have 10 minutes for me real quick? I just have some things I want to talk to you. But like 90% of the time, the vast majority of the time, if I get that call, if somebody pulls me aside, it has to do with either sex or money. Sex or money, sex or money, almost every single time, right? I, I get an email from someone that says, hey, would you be willing to grab coffee with me this week? Uh, there's just some things I really need to kind of hash out with you. Sex or money. I, I get pulled aside after church and somebody's like, hey, you know, would you be willing to sit down with my wife and I and actually our 16-year-old son, he really seems to kind of connect with you and he's not really talking to us, but we think maybe he'll talk to you. I mean, would you be willing to talk with us? Sex or money? Probably sex. But yeah, like, it, it usually almost exclusively comes down to sex or money. And so I think we have to stop being so sensitive and defensive when it comes to this subject. Now, furthermore, if you call yourself a Jesus follower, I think we're even further incentivized to do this. Money is explicitly mentioned 140 times in the Bible. And if we include words like gold, silver, wealth, riches, inheritance, debt, and poverty— the number jumps to nearly a thousand. It actually becomes the second most popular subject in the entire Bible, the only po subject being more popular, sin, and that's probably not a coincidence. So if the Bible pays it so much attention and it occupies so much of our personal brain space, don't you think that we should maybe follow that example? Don't you think we should talk about it a little bit more? We should be just willing to maybe put our guards down a little bit and see what scripture teaches us on the subject. See what God, our creator, who, by the way, absolutely has our best interest in mind, see what he has to say on the subject. So before we go any farther, I'd like to pray for you and pray for me, so let me do that now. God, I truly do thank you that you are a God that has our best interest in mind, that, that you don't want us to do these things that you kind of lay out for us in scripture just arbitrarily because you're on some sort of power trip. No, it's much better than that. You absolutely do want what is best for us. And so today, I just ask that every single one of us, uh, this is an area that we can all be challenged in. We wouldn't to get defensive. Uh, 
We won't put our guards up. We'd just be willing to, to, to listen and hear whatever it is, not that I want to say, but that what you want to say through me today, what you're trying to speak into each of our lives. It's your name we pray, amen. Now, if you have not been here over the last couple of weeks, we are in this series right now called The Grumlaw 7, as we've alluded to. And if you haven't been here, here's what The Grumlaw 7 are. Uh, Weekends, baptism, daily encounter, generosity, groups, serve, and share. And you can see that we are in the fourth week of this series uh, today. And what's so exciting about this is we feel that regardless of where uh, you're at in this whole faith journey, we think that your next step is somewhere here among the Grumlaw Seven. And even more exciting than that, if these seven things are, are, are a part of your life, if these seven elements are a part of your life, you are definitely moving closer to God. And as we've talked about each week, as we move closer to God, this is a promise that he offers us. He inevitably moves closer to us. And so in the first week, we talked about weekends. Why do we do what we do here on Sunday mornings? Uh, why do we go to all the trouble of setting all this up? Why do we brave even the weather and we don't cancel church and people get here at 6.30 a.m.? Why do we do these weekend services? Um, in the second week, we talked about baptism. And as Stephanie already said, it's not too late to sign up. If you are a Jesus follower and since making that decision, decision to follow Jesus, you have not been publicly baptized, what in the heck are you waiting for? You have no idea how your story can help another story be told. Uh, Last week, we talked about daily encounter, which is really just a fancy way of asking the question, are you spending time with God every single day? We think that that should be a priority in your life. We think that if you're only relying on this one hour each week, then you'll probably have like an acquaintance with God at best. It's probably not really a relationship. And then as we already talked about this week, we're going to be talking about generosity. Now, again, if you haven't been here every single week of this series, uh, I would encourage you, please go online, go to grumlaw.com, click on recent messages, and please listen to any of those messages there. And that's not because we're trying to drive more traffic to our website. Uh, but these things are so important as you try to understand why did we start this new church here in Grand Blank? What's the vision? What's the mission of this church? So we hope that you're taking advantage of that. And so again, today we're going to be talking a little bit about money, um, but truth be told, we're not really talking about money, although it goes hand in hand. We're actually talking about generosity. Now, when we say generosity in the context of this Grum Law 7 series, we are exclusively talking about being generous with our finances. Now, we believe in being generous with our time and our resources and our talents, but that's actually going to come later on in this series when we talk about serving. But when we talk about it today, generosity, we're talking about being generous with our finances finances. Now, um, this week, um, again, as mentioned, we run this risk of kind of offending people, and I totally get that. And if your guard is already up this morning, if you're curious why generosity is so important, again, there's only seven things that we included in this. I mean, why is it so important that, that we all get this right? Why is it so important that we are generous with our finances? It's not an accident that money is such a hot topic in Scripture. It's because God knew that for all of time, and and what's so crazy about this is this was the issue for people thousands of years ago, and here we are thousands of years later, it is still the issue for people, and I suspect it always will be, that God's chief competitor for our hearts will always be money. That God's chief competitor for your heart and for my heart probably till the end of time, will always be money. That when it comes to following God, to having a true and a vibrant and a real relationship with him, the thing that most commonly stands in the way of that happening is money. It's our stuff. It's our possessions, the things that we own. Pieces of paper with pictures of dead guys printed on them. 
which when you put it in those terms sounds really stupid, but it's the truth. Now, as you might guess, uh, in the Bible, as I already mentioned, it's talked about a lot, and Jesus actually taught on this subject a lot as well, and specifically, we're going to look in this passage in the book of Matthew. Now, Matthew is the very first book of the New Testament. The Bible's kind of divided into two sections. We have the Old Testament, which is a bunch of stuff before Jesus stepped foot on earth, and then we have the New Testament, which documents Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, and then a bunch of events after he ascended into heaven. And the very first book of the New Testament is this book called Matthew. It's also called one of the gospel books. Now, some of you might not know this. The reason we call it the gospel or the good news is because we think it's really good news that Jesus came. And those books document Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They document the life, the death, and the resurrection of Jesus. So there we have the book of Matthew. And this is Jesus talking. So again, anything that's kind of said here, don't get mad at me, get mad at Jesus. He says this, he says, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them, and where thieves break in and steal. He says, store your treasures in heaven, where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Which, this is great for a couple of reasons. Number one, we just got a glimpse into heaven. There isn't going to be any rust, no moths, and no bandits. That's exciting stuff, but totally beside the point. What Jesus is saying here, he's saying, don't store up material wealth here on earth. That is so foolish, Because in case nobody has told you, you can't take it with you. All of this stuff will eventually fade away. Don't worry about accumulating wealth. It's such a waste of time. When you accumulate wealth here on, on earth for your own benefit, that is so foolish. He's saying don't be earthly focused. Be eternity focused. And see, when we get stressed out and we worry about money, and we try to accumulate wealth. That's precisely what we are doing. We are focusing on earth rather than eternity, which is, again, so foolish when we think of how short our lives are in the context of eternity. John, will you come up here real quick? I have a demonstration, and this is kind of cheesy, but I saw this one time, and I remember it was in high school, and it was like this profound moment for you. So I'm like, I'm going to show this to all of you. Okay, John, I just need you to run this to the back here, this wonderful piece of rope. Everybody give John a round of applause. He's a, he's a music director, and he can also run twine to the back of rooms. He's so stinking talented. Okay, now the reason I keep going all the way to the wall, John, I think we got room. Okay, on the end here, can, can you all see this little black part? Everybody see that, kind of? It's so small that some of you maybe cannot see it. If this piece of rope represents eternity, which is a horrible representation of eternity, actually, because the rope would just keep going on forever, but you kind of get the idea for the idea of a mental image here. If this represents eternity, again, this little black piece, we could say, represents our time on earth. I mean, look at how much longer it is. It's so short in the context of eternity. This is such a blip on the radar when we look at our lives, when we look at our time on earth in the context of eternity. All right, John, way to go. You can keep that rope as a souvenir. It's fantastic. Um, so Jesus, you know, he's saying, like, again, don't storm a tea, you know, these things up here on earth. It's such a waste. I mean, you can't take it with you. And then he goes on and he unleashes this statement that, that is so profound and it has such stark implications for every single one of our lives, whether you are a Christian, whether you are a Jesus follower or not. He says this. He says, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Think about that for a second. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. So so if your treasures, the things that you value most, lie here on earth, money, possessions, stuff, your things, then that's where your heart is going to be. Or you could say it this way. You will be devoted to 
wherever your treasure is. It is impossible to be devoted to God while at the same time coveting money and coveting stuff and coveting our possessions. But if you're focused on eternity, conversely, you truly place God first, even ahead of your money, even ahead of your finances, then your devotion will inevitably lie with him. And so this morning, similar to what I've done at other points during this series, I'm gonna let y'all in on a secret. I absolutely have an agenda this morning. I have an agenda for every single one of us. Jesus follower or not, if you are a person that currently does not give, if you are not currently generous with your finances, I want you to start giving. I want you to be financially generous. This is the time of the year where, where we all start getting all these crazy documents in the mail for our taxes, right? We get W-2s and we get mortgage interest statements and we get statements that we never even heard of before. We just hope that there's a space for them when we go to enter them in our TurboTax, right? We have no clue what the heck they actually mean. And if you're anything like me, I get all these statements in the mail, and I'm not saying this to be braggocious at all, but I, I get these statements in the mail, like these charitable giving statements, right? And it's almost like this little celebratory moment for my wife and I. We're like, oh yeah, we forgot we gave to that, and we forgot we gave to that. We get to write all these things off on our taxes. Now, if you're a person that has no idea what I'm just talking about there, I want that to change. I want you to start giving those statements in the mail. And before you think, great, I knew it. I knew it. Things were going too well here. I knew it. This church is just after my money. Sit tight. I got to be careful how I say this. I don't give a crap if you give money here. I don't care if you give money here or to any of the number of millions of charitable organizations that exist around our globe. I just want you to start giving. I want you to begin being financially generous and to reiterate, here's why. Do not be owned by the things that you own. I don't want any of you to be owned by the things that you own, which is what happens 100% of the time when you are not generous with your finances. Whether you believe that or not, if you are not giving away, you are being owned by the things that you own. Now, when I first got up here, I read you a bunch of statistics as it relates to you know, American debt and the dire state of finances in America. Uh, and really, all of those statistics point to really one issue. All of your personal financial problems and concerns really point to one issue. It comes down to really one word. We ready for this? this, this one word? This is big. Margin. This isn't the thing that we use in cooking and we put in bread. That's, that's margarine. This is margin. Now, as Americans, and again, I know that this is hard, but do your best not to get defensive. Let's just be honest with ourselves. As a whole, and I know there's exceptions to this, but as a whole, Americans, we are not very good at managing margin. In fact, we are horrendous at managing margin. The average worldwide household income is $10,298. Half the world survives on less than $2.50 a day. Whether you realize it or not, and again, I try not to be sensitive to this, you are rich. You are filthy rich. The problem is this word right here that we see, the six-letter word, margin. We spend what we get. In fact, as Americans, oftentimes, more than not, we have this terrible habit of actually spending far more than we get. We spend far more than what we actually earn. One of the most fascinating statistics as it relates to American wealth, um, and you would think the complete opposite would be true, but as Americans, statistically speaking, and I know there's anomalies to the, this, and some of you might be the anomaly who are sitting here today, but as a whole, as Americans make more money, statistically speaking, they tend to actually give far less away, which you would think would be the other way around, right? That you would make more money and you would give more away. No, 
the complete opposite is true. We find out that actually, again, we read all these statistics that, that as you make more, you actually give less away. And in fact, as people get promotions and as they get raises and stuff, they actually tend to be more financially stressed and more worried about money when they made more money than before. We, we want the, we get, the problem with that is, is that we go after and we use our money for our own benefit rather than the benefit of others because we leverage our income, again, for our own benefit. We go out and we lease another car. We go out and we buy a bigger house. We put on an addition. We get more toys. We purchase a vacation home. We get a new, roundier, curvier, flatter television. All these things that we want, but if we're really honest with ourselves, we really don't need them. And we end up being every bit as financially strapped as we were before we got the promotion, before we got the raise, before we got the new job. Because again, we manage our money so poorly. We are so bad at managing margin. We leverage our income for the benefit of ourselves rather than for the benefit of others. And all this comes down to perspective. We assume that anything that comes to me is for me. Anything that comes to me is for me. Every penny that I earn is mine. It's my stuff. It's my money, it's my house, it's my cars, it's all my, 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 mine. And God's going, not so fast. See, an incredible thing happens in people's lives, and I've seen this firsthand. When you start to shift your perspective, when you stop looking at everything that comes to you as mine, and you start looking at everything that you earn and you receive as a gift from God, when you start to recognize that you only have what you have because God has allowed you to manage it, we begin to shift from earth to eternity. We start asking questions like, what would God want me to do with my stuff? What, what would God want me to do with this raise? What would God want me to do with my money? Should, should I really spend this bonus on, on a new vehicle that I absolutely don't need? Or, or should I do something that is so crazy? And I know other people think I'm a knucklehead, but maybe should I go out and buy a car for that family member who so desperately needs one? Sh should we really make all of these upgrades to our house that, again, we don't really need, we just want them? Or should we begin donating to this charity that, that your aunt has just continued to nag you about? Should you really take another vacation or should you do something crazy like give all of that money that you had to set aside and give it to a family in need? Now, Jesus recognized that this is something that is far easier to talk about than to actually do. And in all honesty, it's not really that easy to talk about either, but it's still easier to talk about than to actually do. And he knew that for most of us, this wouldn't be some quick decision that we just hear it and we're like, all right, I'm in, I'm gonna start doing this. He knew that for all of time, this would be something that people, that all of us struggle with. So uh, this one time, he's, he's leaving this one town. Jesus is hanging out with his disciples. He's leaving one town. He begins to head back to Jerusalem. And as he's leaving this one town uh, and heading to a new one, this isn't a parable. This is actually a true story. He's heading to this new town, and he comes across this young man. And this young guy uh, had a lot of money. In fact, we refer to this story oftentimes as the rich young ruler. And this guy had all this stuff, but honestly, he was really living for Jesus. I mean, he heard about this whole new following called Christianity, and he had bought in 100%. And in fact, most people would have looked at this guy's life and been like, oh, dang, this guy's like really a committed Jesus follower. But for whatever reason, there was this discontentment in his life that he just couldn't shake. And he's trying, he's doing all the right things, but yet there's still something inside of him, this void that he can't seem to kind of get rid of. And so he makes it his like mission to go out and actually find Jesus and be like, okay, what the heck is going on? How come I can't get rid of this? And he actually finds Jesus. As Jesus was starting on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, this guy that I was alluding to, 
knelt down and he asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's a profound question, right? My, my guess is, is that all of us at some time, whether we've said it out loud or not, we probably wrestled with that question at a certain point. In fact, it's this question that, that it maybe even has driven you to come to church, that, that, that put you inside the, the doors of a church on a Sunday morning for the very first time. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers them. He says, you know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And as Jesus is going through this list, basically the Ten Commandments, right, this guy's grin is just getting bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. He's like, Jesus, I do this stuff. You are not going to believe it. Like, all these things that you tell us not to do and to do, I actually do all these things. And he's feeling pretty good about himself. He thinks, finally, okay, I can get rid of this icky feeling. I mean, I heard it from Jesus' mouth himself. But then something interesting happens. He says, teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. I'm so excited. But then looking at this man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. And we can't overlook that. Jesus isn't being vindictive. He, he, he's not angry. I mean, he's looking at this, play, this guy in a place of real love. I mean, he's looking at him going like, you are a guy that I came for. I came for you personally. This is why I am on earth. I came to pay the penalty for your mistakes, for your sins. Like, I love you. And in that genuine, tender place of love, he says to him, there is still one thing you haven't done. And then he drops this bomb. He says, go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. Because Jesus knew, after all, he was the one that said it. Wherever your treasure is, there your heart will also be. That for this man and every other person that has ever walked the face of the earth, including me and you, that the chief competitor for our devotion will always be money our stuff, our possessions. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions. We all have a lot of possessions. We have a lot of stuff. And unfortunately, this has been the response of so many of us. We do nothing we get defensive, and we continue to be owned by the stuff that we own. We allow our money to win. We allow our stuff to win because we have so much of it. And if we're honest, we have fallen head over heels for our stuff and our money and our possessions. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. And ever since I've studied this verse, I've always thought, and I've always substituted this word for it, I've always thought how hard it is for Americans to enter the kingdom of God. It's so hard because we can be so reluctant to let go of our stuff, our money, because if we're honest, we love it so much. But you guys, God does not want to play second fiddle to your stuff. 
He isn't content just having some of your attention. He desires to have 100% of your devotion. And so long as money is running your life, he knows he is only getting your scraps. You cannot serve both God and money. Whether you believe it or not, one of them is running your life. And please don't misinterpret what Jesus is saying here. He's not guaranteeing you a spot in heaven. I mean, if you were to leave here today and and, and go sell all your possessions and give them all to the poor, I mean, you can't buy your way into heaven. I mean, there's no guarantee that you'll end up hanging out next to Jesus. No, what he's saying here is he's getting at is our hearts. Where does your devotion lie? With him or money? Will you trust God? Do you completely trust him? Do you truly have faith that he will provide? And if you answer those questions, if you're quick to answer them mentally, yes, 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 but yet you don't give, Jesus is saying, I'm not saying it, Jesus is saying, I just don't believe you. In America in particular, giving of our finances is the ultimate test of whether we truly trust God or not. In my experience as a pastor, this is typically the last thing that people will let go. It's the last thing that they will trust God with if they ever do. But unfortunately, more times than not, people won't. The disciples are astounded. And then they ask this question that is just begging to be asked. They said, then who in the world can be saved? Jesus looked at them intently and said, humanly speaking, it's impossible but not with God. Everything is possible with God. When you're close to him, you give it to him. He's saying this won't come easy. This will feel unnatural, but you are just gonna have to trust me and watch how I show up. Your family and your friends will think, and people that hear about this, they will think that you are an idiot. To give money away, it goes so against the grain of everything that comes natural to us. It sounds completely counterintuitive that you will somehow be in a better financial position after you start giving money away than before you did. But Jesus is saying, come on, come on. Are you going to trust me or not? So where does your devotion lie? Does it lie with money or God? You want to stop being owned by the things that you own? then start battling against that by giving it away. This is how we battle against greed, something that we all wrestle with. When we give, we are saying, I am no longer allowing money to run my life. I am no longer going to be owned by the things that I own. My devotion truly does lie with God. I will trust you, God, with my finances. You guys, I want this for you so badly. And again, it's not because I want your money. It's not because as Grumla, I'm just dying to get your money. That's not the case at all. The the truth is we have all had sleepless nights. We have all had fights and quarrels in our marriages. We have all had tension in our homes. We've all had days where we literally can't work because we are so consumed with our finances, with our money, and you will never experience financial freedom until you start giving. You'll never experience it until you start giving. When you hold on to your stuff, it holds you back. And I don't need to convince you of this. This talk hasn't convinced you of this. 
Let's be honest, your life has demonstrated this to you. And come on, this, this isn't a church thing. This isn't a Christian thing. This is a human thing. Nobody likes being stressed out about money. Nobody likes laying awake at night worrying about money, which is why, regardless of where you are at on this faith journey, whether you've been coming to church your entire life or whether this is your first time walking into a church, even if you have zero interest in becoming a Jesus follower, you should still do this for your own sanity. You will experience a freedom that is completely life-changing. Now, for those of you that are Jesus followers, we kind of have an added bonus here. You'll begin to experience a closeness with God that I guarantee you, you have never experienced before. There is something incredibly freeing when we say, you know what, I'm not going to worry about this anymore. I'm just going to begin giving it to you, God, and I'm going to allow you to show up. And so if you are tired of money being your master, you're tired of being owned by the things that you own, you're tired of sleepless nights, you're tired of worrying about money, here's my challenge for you. You ready for this? I mean, this, this is profound. I put this in some big, robust terms. You ready? Go ahead, throw it up. Ready? Start giving. Start giving today. Be generous. Start giving 10% of your gross income away. And for some of us, I know, especially if you're not giving now, that sounds like a massive figure. 10% of my gross income. And in fact, a lot of churches will teach otherwise. They'll say, hey, why don't you start with one and then get to five and then maybe eventually get to 10%. And I don't agree with that at all. Because what you're saying there is, okay, God, I'm just going to trust you with a little, and we'll see if maybe it works out. We'll give it a try, and then, you know, if it doesn't, then we'll go back on that. No, no, no. Start with 10% and watch how God begins to show up. 10% was never meant to be the finish line. It's supposed to be the starting point. For some of you that that have been given 10% for for years and years and years, I want to challenge you. You need to start giving more. It's supposed to feel uncomfortable. My wife and I, and again, I say this in no way to be braggocious, but every single year since we've been married, we try every year, not we try, it's happened, we give a greater percentage away of our income than the year we did prior because we always want to be stretched. And honestly, we've seen how God shows up every year. We get these statements in the mail and we're like, how do we have any money? God just continues to provide over and over and again. And again, this isn't a ploy to give money to Grumlaw. I don't think that this church is going to rise and fall based on whether or not any one of you individually give or not. The God that I put my trust in is far bigger than that. I don't care where that 10% goes. I just want you to start giving it away. Whether you are a Christian or not, start being generous with your finances. Leverage your money for the benefit of others rather than yourself. Don't procrastinate. Some of you, you know yourself better than this. If you wait, these feelings of conviction, these things that are kind of welling up inside of you right now, by tomorrow morning, they will be gone. And you know that God has been putting his thumb on you in this regard. Do this today. Make this a priority. Now, last thing I'll say here before we move on. I know, and again, I've tried to express this. I know that this is hard. That this is so difficult. That it it feels so unnatural. But you guys, when we think of what God did for every single one of us, how incredibly generous God has been with every single person in this room. 
When we think of God, he did the most generous thing in the history of the world when he sent his one and his only son to die for you. And he only asked for 10%. It's pretty small when we put it in those terms. Trust God and watch how he shows up. And so my challenge here for you today is, again, start giving. And I really want you to take this seriously. I would ask that you would do this for the next 90 days. And I haven't told any of the staff this, and I don't think this is going to bite us in the butt, but if you do this, if you're currently not giving, and you begin giving 10% of your gross income away, and after 90 days, you feel, you feel more financially strapped, it's more of a burden on your household, it's more of a burden on your marriage, you feel like, I have seen no benefits to this whatsoever, that this has become actually a real hassle, I wish I had that money back, you can come to Grumlaw, and we will refund you every penny. Even if you do not give it to Grumlaw, if you give that 10% to some other organization for the next 90 days, and you're like, dang, this stinks, I wish I had that money back, we will refund you that money as well. I'm not kidding when I say that. 100% we'll do that. We will refund you every penny over that 90-day period. And I say that because I'm so confident that God will show up in your lives. I've never seen it not work. I've never seen God show off when we're not, when we're, see him not show off when we're obedient in this regard. Let's get this right because after all, wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. Let me pray for us.